This is the scripture for today's message. Psalm chapter 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of God to us. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Thank you, Pat. Good to see everybody. Great to uh, worship with you all and uh, get to open God's Word with you again today. Uh, If you don't know me, my name is Sean. I get to serve as one of the pastors here at Frontline South. And we are are in a series, as Aaron mentioned, we're in a series called Warrior Poet. And what we've been doing is we're observing the life of David. We're taking kind of all that's good about David and we're taking some of the bad about David. And we are alongside David. We're learning the lessons that God was teaching him. All the while, we're looking at this book, God's Holy Scriptures to us, not as a list of stories or a list of rules or characters, but we're realizing that God is in in His Holy Word. He's giving us His design for His kingdom. He's showing us what the kingdom of heaven is like, and He shows us most clearly what His kingdom is like through His Son, Jesus. But in David, we're, we're kind of looking through the lens of 1 Samuel to see the kingdom of God. And in David, what we've seen over the last couple of weeks, we saw uh, two weeks ago, I got to talk us through uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16 and uh, kind of this unlikely anointing of this David character as king, right? As a boy. And then last week, uh, Pastor Andrew took us through chapter 17 and we looked at the familiar passage Uh, of David and Goliath with just really a fresh and beautiful take. If you missed that, I need you to go get the podcast and check that out. Uh, Andrew did a great job taking us through that in a fresh and beautiful way. Today, what we get to do is we get to look at David, not as the warrior, not as the king, but we get to see David as the poet. We get to see the artist David, the way that he takes poetry and he shows us in a, in a fresh and new way what God is doing and, and uh, what God is, is uh, working in his life. So far in our series, uh, we've been kind of in narrative, haven't we? We've been talking through a story. That is the book of 1 Samuel. And today we're going to stay in our series, but our genre is not story. We're changing and we're jumping into some poetry. Now, this is a huge part of what we're going to be doing in this series. And we haven't even scratched the surface of it yet. And here's what I mean. Um, If all we got in our series on Warrior Poet, if all we got through God's scripture was the exterior life of David, kind of what's happening that we can all see when we get to hear his words, if all we got were, were the pictures of his rise to the throne and his unlikely anointing, and we got the picture of him fighting a, a battle with Goliath, and we got all these things that we could see externally, that would be really amazing. That would be really cool. We could see uh, the way that God is working through and using this unlikely guy. That would be very helpful. But more than that... What we get when we open up the Psalms is we get this beautiful picture of his interior life. We actually get to see in some ways like a diary, we get to see the ways that God was working inside of him. 
We get to see the conversations that he was having. We get to see the doubts. We get to see the fears. We get to see the way that God is working on the inside of David. And that is actually really helpful. David's uh, interior life is important to God. And yours is too. Yours is too. Do you, ever, uh, do you ever think that God is not listening? Do you ever think that he doesn't hear you? Well, what we have in the Psalms is evidence that God actually heard every word. And he saw every thought and was continuing to work inside of David and to speak to him even when things felt really scary and, and things uh, made no sense. So just a couple of words on the Psalms. For, for thousands of years, the church has viewed the Psalms as the prayer book of the saints. Uh, the prayer book of the church. And it reads like a prayer journal. It's full of, of praise and thanksgiving. And it's full of lament. And it's full of doubts. And it's full of fears. And then it jumps back into praise and thanksgiving. And, uh, and that's, what, that's what the Psalms look, looks like. What I think is really beautiful about the church having the Psalms. Is that it's God giving us some language for how to pray. It, it, it's God helping us to know how we can approach him. Um, it's God giving us some license to feel some doubts and to feel some fears. It's him helping us to have language to speak back to him. I love that the entire scripture is actually God's revelation to us to show us what he's like. He's communicating who he is and what he's done. And that's beautiful. But I love that there's one book in the whole Bible right in the middle that actually gives us some language to give back to God. That's really helpful for me. I need that. I need God to give me some license to say, I don't understand what's going on right now. Um, I, I was praying with my family for communion last week, and I said to one of my sons, hey, buddy, do you want to lead us in prayer? Do you want to lead the family? And he just goes, man, I just don't think I'm good at it. You know, he looked at like the other people that were gathering around us, and he goes, I just don't think I'm good at praying. And man, I think some of us feel that. And it's really helpful for God to give us not just a command to pray, but he gives us language so that we actually know how to approach him. And we're going to get a lot of that when we look at the Psalms. So today, what we're in is arguably the most famous Psalm. I get that. Uh, certainly the most famous Psalm of all that David wrote. And, uh, I, but I want us to dive into this with fresh hearts and with fresh eyes. Most scholars believe that this was actually written uh, later in David's life after he had become king. And maybe he had been king for some time. And what's happening is in the 23rd Psalm, he's looking back on his life and he's thinking about all the ways that God had met him and all the ways that God had been faithful to him. And everything in me today feels the burden to come to you as a church around the 23rd Psalm, some verses that probably many of you had to memorize in Sunday school. And if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, you probably have heard it along the way a few dozen times, you know. Everything in me feels this pressure and this burden to come to you and go, let me just show you some new things that you've never seen before. Let me just give you some historical context. Maybe you've never thought about the way that David was seeing things. And here's 10 great new things about Psalm 23 that you've never in your life considered. (laughs) I feel that. But that's not the burden I want to carry today. That's not the burden I want to carry as a pastor. The burden that I want to carry is to faithfully preach to you the love of God. And, uh, and I want to say today, I don't think that it's interesting hot takes that we need. And my hope is that God actually has more for us than that. Uh, I, I don't think that what we need is more information. But I know in my own soul and in my own heart, what I really truly need is 
transformation from God the Holy Spirit in my, in my life. And I don't want just some new information about an old familiar psalm, but I really want to meet with my shepherd today. I really want to hear from him. And so I want us to just spend a few minutes to ask God to give us some fresh eyes on something that we've probably seen and, and some fresh ears on, on what we've probably heard, these six verses together. And before we jump back in, I just want to pray and ask God to help us do that. Would that be all right? So Spirit of God, we come to your holy word again today. And we just say, we, want, we really need to hear from our shepherd. We really need, God, you, we really need for you to lead us. And we just want to say, God, we, in a lot of ways, we are a weary people. And we feel beat up and we feel harassed by our sin and by our temptation. And we feel pressed down by life. And today, what we really need is for you to lead us and feed us. We need to hear from God, our shepherd, and God, As we hear from you, we ask that you would give us help and courage to actually listen and obey and follow you. This is what we need today as we open up your word. So Spirit of God, help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I want us to go back again and just maybe in a more contemplative way, we're just going to go right through these six verses and consider what God might be saying to us again today. Verse 1 and 2. The Lord is my shepherd... I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters. I love that David starts this poem, and uh, what he does is he takes himself out of the place of being a shepherd. You know, we remember we, met, we meet David in chapter 16, and he is a shepherd. A, a huge part of the first part of his life was actually shepherding the sheep, right? And what we know about David is that he was he was actually pretty dang good at it. He, um, we, we find out in the story, he, he fights off lions and he fights off bears protecting the sheep on the job, right? Like if there was an X Games of shepherding, David would probably be the guy that we would want to see compete, right? But what he does is he actually comes to God in this moment and he just says, God, I don't feel so much like a shepherd. I actually feel more like the sheep. I, I don't feel so wise, I actually feel kind of helpless. I feel defenseless. And I feel in need of help. And what I need is God, my shepherd, to come and lead me. And he says, I have a shepherd. And he leads me. And his name is Jehovah, the Lord. David, he knows the job. He knows the job well. He knows the job of shepherding is to lead and to feed and protect and to provide for the sheep. That's the job of the shepherd. And when he comes to God... He just says, here I am, God, and I need you to lead me. I need you to feed me. I need you to protect me. God, there are, there are ways that I need you to provide for me. And, uh, and he gets to this place where he says, God, with you, my shepherd, there's nothing that I need. I have everything that I want. I have everything, uh, not, not just my desires, but I have my needs. There's nothing that I lack in you, God. And I think this is fascinating for us to look at because, as I said, This is a psalm that David wrote when he was in his kingdom. He's a king. He's on a throne. And he has riches. And he has servants. And he doesn't say that it's in those places that he finds everything that he needs. But he says, in God my shepherd, I can come to you. And you're the one who actually provides everything that I need. And this is what we need to hear for us today too. Man, it's not in my bank account. It's not in my job security. It's, it's, it's not in my connectedness in my industry that I find 
that I have everything I need. But in God, my shepherd, even though I have no clue what tomorrow may bring, I come to my shepherd and I say, but you're the one who's leading me. And I can trust you and I can follow you. I want to say, man, maybe I know that we have folks in our church as I speak to you guys. I know maybe you're one of the, the people that wrestles in a deep way with depression or anxiety or suicidal thoughts. And today, what you need most is to be reminded you have a shepherd that is leading you. And even if you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring, you don't know what next week is going to bring, he is leading you. Do you guys have those moments in life where, I, I just feel this all the time, or I feel like I have felt this, where I get myself into something or something's going on in my family, and I just go, I don't have any idea how I'm going to get through this. Like, you know, there's something coming up at work or you like somehow you've gotten yourself into something and you just go, I don't know how I'm going to get on the other side of this thing. Um, my wife, Jackie, and I, we talk, we talk all the time. This is like a real glimpse into our life. We talk all the time about how if God would have told us 15 years ago what our life was going to look like for the next 15 years, like five kids and everything that comes with that. And, uh, and, and, and unexpected surgeries and living through tornadoes and planting a church and accidentally starting a nonprofit. Like we would have bailed on the process. We would have totally run the other way. Do you guys like know what I mean? But, um, but he didn't do that. He didn't give us the full picture. What he gave us was, hey, trust me for the next step. I'm leading you. And we went, okay, I, I feel scary, but I can take one step. And then he gave us the next step, you know, and we trusted him for that. And then he gave us the next step. And, uh, and man, I just want to say, like, if he would have given us the whole thing, I totally would have run away. But I'm so glad that he didn't, because if I would have jumped ship and I would have gone for my own plan, it w- I would be in much worse shape <laughs> than if I would have just followed the plan that God had all along. The shepherd knows where he's going, and his plans are so much better than our plans. And David... He gets to this place in life where he just goes, man, all that time that I didn't know what was going to happen with Saul and all that time I had no idea what was going to happen with my kingdom, like that 15 years from when I was a teenager anointed to when God actually gave me the crown, all that time where like weird stuff was going on in my family and my sons were trying to to figure out who who was going to be king after me, all that time, God, you knew what you were doing and you were leading me like you. He looks back and he goes, I have a shepherd. And he realizes, like, I was this restless creature. And God the shepherd, he came and he made me to lie down. And God my shepherd, he came and he gave me uh, still waters to drink from. And then he goes on and he says, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The work of the shepherd is to restore the health of the sheep. Do you ever feel your need for that? Like when a sheep is scraped, when a sheep get, falls down and gets a broken leg, when a sheep is broken, the work of the shepherd is to gather up the sheep and to do the work of restoring them. And David, he feels this need. And again, I mean, like this is a guy who's on a throne. He has a kingdom and he doesn't say, he, he doesn't find himself running to, man, you know what I need to restore my soul is fine wine. What I need to restore my soul is good food. What I need to restore my soul, let me just find comfort uh, in the bed of a woman. Let me just run to women and let that be the thing that restores my soul. Let me run to power and man, I'll feel better. This is, 
This is David, the king, saying, man, I know all that stuff. All that stuff is going to satisfy me for like a minute. But it's God, my shepherd. I have to come and I have to get in his presence. He's the one who restores my soul. Do you ever feel like you're just going down a path that's crazy? You're on the wrong path and he's leading you in, in his paths of righteousness. And David says it's for his namesake. It's the glory of God. It's his name that's on the line. He actually cares about our sanctification more than we do. You ever feel trapped by sin and you feel trapped by temptation? He's doing a work inside of you. From one degree of glory to the next, he's working to restore your soul and to lead you in paths of righteousness. This is what C.H. Spurgeon said about God restoring our soul. He says, when the soul grows sorrowful, he revives it. When it is sinful, he sanctifies it. When it is weak, he strengthens it. He does it. He restoreth my soul. Are any of us low in grace? Do we feel that our spirituality is at its lowest ebb? He who turns the ebb into the flood can soon restore our soul. Pray to him then for the blessing. Restore thou me, thou shepherd of my soul. I need to pray that prayer. You need to pray that prayer. So David, he continues his reflection. We get to verse 4. And he says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Um, The way that this is translated into English, I think a lot of times we read it and we go, verse 3 is over. Now we read verse 4, new thought. It's not a new thought. What David is saying is this is a continuation of the way that he's leading us. Um, this could be translated, and this is, you're not going to like this. This, this, this will be translated uh, closely. Even when he leads me into the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I don't like that. He leads me into the valley of the shadow of death. Sometimes, maybe you don't feel like you're in the valley of the shadow of death. This is sometimes translated the valley of the shadow of deep darkness. You ever felt there? Well, I think we have to ask ourselves, if this is true, why is it that God the shepherd, the good shepherd, would ever lead the sheep into the valley of darkness? And I think the answer is, this is the, this is the place, the reason is because there's another place that the sheep need to be, and he's taking them there. There are times where God is actually taking us through the valley of darkness to get to the calm waters, and to get to the green pastures. This is part of David's story, right? We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. He knew this. He had to go through pain. He had to go through times that felt uh, really unsure. He knew that this was part of the way that God was working in him. And this, I know it, this offends in every way. It offends our kind of our Western Christian, uh, you know, prosperity ideals. Why would God ever take us through pain? And I think what we have here today is, in a new way, David comes to us and he says, even in the pain, and maybe most in the pain, we can trust the shepherd because he's doing something inside of us. He's taking us to another place that, that we need to be in. Anybody else feel that? Just me? Look back at the first three verses. David, he changes the tense that he's speaking from. I think this is... Just so good for us. 
He starts out by saying, the Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me. He's speaking in the third person. And when he gets to verse 4, he actually changes the tense. Do you notice this? He changes and he starts to speak in second person. And he says, even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, God, you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they're the ones comforting me. They're the ones protecting me. They're the ones defending me. Why is it that he would change his tense? Why would he go from talking about God to talking directly to God? Well, I have a theory. I think that he was in the middle of feeling all that pain and feeling all that darkness and feeling all of the the scariness of what was surrounding him. He reflects back and he thinks on that moment in his life where he enters into the valley of Elah and he goes, hey, either Goliath's going to die or I'm going to die today. You know, like it's one of those days. He felt that. And in the middle of that fear and in the middle of that unknown, he actually senses God's presence. He actually realizes, man, I'm not talking to God. I'm not talking about God, but I'm talking directly to him because he is with me. He's with me. This whole passage, Psalm 23 one of the things that I love about it is that it's radically God-centered. Um, did you notice there's nothing for the sheep to do in this passage? <laughs> like, you put yourself in the place of a sheep, a son, or a daughter of God. Your job is to just receive the leading of the shepherd. It's radically passive, right? And, and, and so, um, what I want to say about that is, like, I believe that this passage is actually in a lot of ways giving us what it means to just walk out the Christian life. Like to just trust him one step after the next, to obey him, to follow him wherever he's leading. Like the sheep don't need to know where they're going. They just need to be able to see the shepherd, right? This is, this is what I think this passage is about for us. But I also want to say, beyond just the ordinary days of life, I have felt this passage to be so comforting when I feel unique pain. And when I feel unique darkness, um, if if in the middle of 2018, you would have said to me, uh, hey, man, you're going to this year, you're going to really know what it feels like to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I would have gone, you got the wrong guy. <laughs> like, I feel fine. I'm not sick. I hardly get sick. If I do, I might catch a cold. And even then, you know, I go to the doctor like once a year, maybe that's it. I'm not the guy who's going to feel the, de- the valley of the shadow of deep darkness. And along about uh, August, September, I started meeting with some doctors. And I, was not, I, was, I wasn't feeling bad, but I just wasn't feeling great. And I just wondered, you know, you just get that feeling sometimes. Like, I wonder if anything's off in me. And I was meeting with some, well, just, just my doc. And, and he sent me to another couple of docs to just check everything out. And, uh, and I was one test away from getting just a clean bill of health. You know, like they had just checked everything out and they just kept coming back to me and they were going, man, I think you're fine. Um, just doesn't seem like anything's come back. You're probably just getting old, man. <laughs> like you're just out of shape, brother. Like, uh, you know, you, you, you got to get in the gym more because, you know, as, as often as I go to the doctor, I go to the gym about, about as often, <laughs> you know, once a year is about right. And uh, that's what I felt. You know, I just thought they were going to tell me, you know, you're out of shape, you're getting old. And, uh, and the, the last doctor that I had to see was a cardiologist just because I, I was feeling a little bit of tightness in my chest. And they said, just go get this scan done. And they did, a, they did an echocardiogram. And the guy just said, man, I'm not worried. I think probably what's going to happen is you're going to go and, and you're going to do the test. 
And then just give us three or four days to call you and give you the results. And I'm sure it'll be good news. Don't worry about it. So I went and I did it. And, um, and I went and I did, the, I did the scan. And they say, you know, call you in three or four days. Don't worry. And I get back to the office. And like 45 minutes, an hour later, I get a phone call. And it's the cardiologist's office. I'm like, oh, that's weird. I wonder if they forgot to do something, you know. And, uh, and I pick up the phone, and it's not the technician, it's not a nurse, it's the cardiologist. And I'm like, oh, this is not good. Like, he's calling me right now. And he said, hey, hey uh, sit down. I got, got some stuff to share with you. Uh, we got your scan, and um, we found something, and it's pretty serious. What's happening is your aortic valve is not pumping blood out of the heart to the rest of your body the way that it's supposed to. It's actually leaking all the blood that it tries to pump back out right back into the heart, and it's causing some problems. And so we need to do some more tests. And I'm like, okay, that sounds like a big deal. And I go in, and I do a couple of, I, I, I go in a couple of days later, and I meet with the cardiothoracic surgeon, and I get kind of a second opinion. And his opinion is, yes, it is serious, but it's more serious than the first doctor told you. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, okay. He's like, you're dying. And um, the deal is, man, if we don't like open your, open your chest and stop your heart and a lot of other scary details, <laughs> if we don't do that pretty soon, you're not, you're just, what's going to happen is something's going to rupture in your heart and it's going to be like game over. It lights out like you'll never see it coming. And so I'm like, all right, we better, we better think about this, you know, like we better get to work. He said, I don't think we need to do it like tomorrow I don't think we need to probably do it like later this week, but I think we need to do it in the next few weeks. Like in, in the next few weeks or months, I think you got a real problem on your hands. And so here I am, the guy that goes to the doctor once a year, you know, and the next few days were really heavy. And some of you guys were, were by my side and you know that. And the next few days were a lot of heavy conversations with my community group and my neighbors and the pastors in our church, and it was really heavy when it came time to talk to my kids. You know, you don't expect in your 30s that you're going to sit your kids down and say, hey, I don't want to freak you out, but I just want you to know I really love you. I really, really love you, and I'm really proud of you. I don't know what's coming, but we're going to trust the Lord together, you know? That was hard, and that felt like darkness. That felt like something that was unexpected in my life. And... um Praise God, by, by God's grace, a year ago, um, last week, I had the surgery. And surprise, I'm here. I'm okay. Here I am. Um, but here's the deal. Like, it was complicated, <laughs> and I got through it. And for the next 10 days, I was in ICU. And uh, it was really cool. My wife and I, last week, we went to dinner, just the two of us. And we were, like, the day of the surgery, um, we, uh, we sat down for dinner together. And we were just, like, talking through the last year and like all that God has brought us through. We were kind of having one of those moments. And, um, and I, she said, man, that time in the hospital, was that just the worst, you know? And I thought about it and I was like, man, this is going to sound crazy, but I look back on those 10 days and I just feel like so fond of that time. I feel like I just, every moment, I know it was hard. Like I don't have all the memories that she has because I was super drugged up. But, but like, I know it was hard, but, um, man, I just felt grace, like, in every moment. 
I just felt like God was near to me. I felt like it was the shepherd making me to lie down. And I feel like he was so close in that time. And uh, she was like, well, that's really weird because you were super cranky to everybody. <laughs> like everybody. You were so cranky. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, I'm sorry. I know. I was, it was a lot going on and drugs and all of it, you know. But I really felt the nearness of God in that time like I never have ever in any other time in my life. I felt his nearness. And I felt him leading me. And, uh, and one of the prayers that I was praying uh, during that time was like, God, would you deepen me? Would you, in, in new ways, would you shape me? I know I'm not the guy that you're making me to be one day. Would you use this time to shape me and grow me towards that? And I really feel like I can look back in, over the last 12 months and go, even in small ways, he's only scratching the surface of that, but I really believe that he started that work in me and he's continuing to do that. And I know that he's doing that in you. Your pain is different. And I know some of your stories. And I know the way that you've walked through the valley of the shadow of darkness. Your pain is different. But we all go through pain. And, uh, and we have a shepherd who's leading us. And here's some good news. He's not unaware of our pain. Like, he, he's, not, he's not a God. He's not a shepherd in heaven who just says, Hey, I know you're feeling some pain. I'm going to do everything I can to kind of help you from a distance. This is God, our shepherd, Jesus, who came and got in the middle of the pain and felt it. He felt all of the abandonment and he felt all of the pain that he felt and walked through on our behalf so that we could be rescued to be brought back into the fold of God. He did that for us. And I just want to say, like, if he would go through all of that pain, if he would go through all of that rejection and abandonment, if he would be crucified on a cross... So that we could be rescued, why would he allow anything to come between us and that rescue? Why would he do that? I don't think that he would do that. He's walking with us. And, uh, and even on the days that it feels really hard, he's doing something. He's shaping us. He's preparing us for the day when faith is going to become sight. And every tear is going to be wiped away from every eye. And until that day, he's working and there are days in the middle of that work, it feels like we're surrounded, right? It feels like we're, we have days where we're overwhelmed. And David says, on the days that you feel surrounded, on the days that you feel overwhelmed, verse 5, remember this. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The picture that David gives us, he gives us a picture of a shepherd, but also he gives us this picture of a really gracious host. Like God doesn't say, he, he doesn't say, uh, you, you, you give me some food while I'm on the run. You heat up some leftovers for me so that when I get home from the battle, you know I'm hungry and I can eat them. It's <laughs> not what he says. He's like, God, in the presence of my enemies, you come and you... You set a place at your table and you, you give me an invitation to come sit down. This is, this is God. Uh, think about Thanksgiving. You prepare a feast for the people that you love and you're preparing the food and you're preparing the place settings and you're thinking about who's going to sit where, right? This is what God does for David. And I, I think you just have to ask when you get to verse 5, what kind of a person has a feast with a raging enemy all around him, you know? Like, who does that? I think it's a good question to ask because I think the answer 
that I've been able to come up with is either A, it's a really crazy person, like somebody who's totally insane, or B, it's a person who knows for certain that his enemies are defeated. He just knows, man, my enemies are defeated. I don't have anything to worry about. He looks back, he talks about his, his head being anointed. He looks back at that time where Samuel shows up unexpectedly. He thinks back all these years later, and, uh, and he says, God, you're the one who did that. And if you did that, I know that you're for me. And if you're for me, God, who can be against me? This is the heart of David. And it's the reason that I think he boldly says, surely, surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. This is his heart. So like we have a lot to cover in the story. We've got a lot left to go. But I just want to tell you, maybe, maybe you don't know this. Um, the reason that David says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me is not because like his life has been a bunch of sunshine and roses, you know? He's been rejected by his own father. He got put into the service of Saul and Saul rejects him. The king rejects him and he doesn't just reject him. He starts doing crazy stuff like throwing spears at him. He's trying to kill him. And David, he loses his best friend, Jonathan, and he loses a lot of the people that he's close to because he's on the run from King Saul, who wants to take his life. He's on the run, and he's sleeping in caves. He's hiding out. He spends time camping with Philistines. Like, that just sounds horrible. Uh, um, At at one point, one of his sons begins a coup because he wants to overthrow the, the throne. He wants to take control. And David, he looks back at all of this. He's looking back at his life, and he goes, God, even in those times, you were leading me. You were with me. And if you were leading me in those times, surely goodness and mercy, God, is going to follow me all the days of my life. And friends, I want to say to you, it may look like today you're surrounded by sickness and by fear. It may look like anxiety and depression and lack are coming for you. It may feel that way. But there is one who is greater than all of those things and he is today inviting you to come and sit down at his table. He's inviting you to sit down and rest and give him all your worry and, and you sit down and you go, God, I feel, I feel like I'm surrounded by all this stuff. I feel like all my enemies are around me and I feel afraid of tomorrow and I feel afraid of the future. And he says, hold out your cup because I have overflowing grace for you and I'm pouring it out for you Today, you can trust me. I am providing for you and I am protecting you and I am surrounding you even when you cannot see it on the dark days and on the bright days. When it feels scary, we can trust. We have a father. Surely goodness and mercy are not going to pass by us a single day of our life. This is good news. And sometimes when you hear good news, you say things like amen. That's really good. Good job, guys. I want to say there's another way to see life. And, and, and it's a life that is apart from the good shepherd. And, it, and, and it's a life that feels pretty different. Maybe you read Psalm 23 and you think, man, that just feels pretty far-fetched for me. That just doesn't feel like my reality. And um, there's a guy, an author named David Pallison, and he wrote an anti-Psalm 23. And this is what it sounds like. Maybe this is you today. I'm on my own. No one looks out for me or protects me. I experience a continual sense of need. Nothing's quite right. I'm always restless. I'm easily frustrated and often disappointed. It's a jungle. I feel overwhelmed. 
It's a desert. I'm thirsty. My soul feels broken, twisted, and stuck. I can't fix myself. I stumble down some dark paths. I'm haunted by emptiness and futility, shadows of death. Death is waiting for me at the end of every road. I spend my life protecting myself. I find no lasting comfort. I'm alone, facing everything that could hurt me. Are my friends really my friends? I can't really trust anyone. No one has my back. No one is really for me except me. My cup is never quite full enough. I'm left empty. Disappointment follows me all the days of my life. Will I just be obliterated into nothingness? Will I be alone forever? Homeless, free-falling, into void? That's a heavy thought. And I want to say if that's the way that you feel today, there's a better table that you're invited to come and sit at. Jesus, he invites you to come into his presence today, not so that he can judge you or condemn you, not so that he can shun you, but so that he can pour out his grace on you, so that he can invite you to become his son or to become his daughter. Not because you've done anything to deserve it, but because he's a faithful and good shepherd who leads sheep who are lost and leads sheep who are wandering. He says, come to my table. I have a place for you, even you, even me. Would you stand with me? The end of this psalm, it reminds me of a story that we're going we're gonna to jump back into uh, Warrior Poet after the first of the year. And we're gonna, eventually, we're going to get into 2 Samuel. And this psalm reminds me so much of something that happens to David in 2 Samuel chapter 9. And I'll just briefly tell you the highlights of the story are, as I said, I, I, I think that David is writing this psalm when he's reflecting back on the goodness of God in his life. And I think what happens in David when he reflects back on all the ways that God has met him is what I, I hope and I think should happen with us. We get stirred up. We get stirred up to think about the love of God. We get stirred up to gratitude, to show towards other people in the way that God has poured gratitude into our life. And that, David kind of has one of these moments and he's thinking about his old friend Jonathan, his friend that God gave to him. And he goes, hey, is there anybody Is there anybody that I can show kindness to on behalf of my friend Jonathan? Do you know this story? It's the story of Mephibosheth. And they come to him and they go, yeah, king, there's a guy. He's actually one of the youngest sons of Jonathan, but he's crippled. Like there was a thing that happened when he was a baby and and his his legs don't work. He had an accident. uh, but, But he is the heir to Jonathan, your friend. And David says, bring him to me. Bring him to me. And, uh, and here, here comes Mephibosheth in all of his fear and all of his trembling. And he thinks, here I am, the only rightful heir to the throne of Saul, the only living descendant. And what happens is he comes into David's presence. And this is what David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, trembling in fear, behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, do not fear For I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. Man, that sounds like God to me. Here's a guy who, who is crippled and broken and begging and needy. And he has no table to sit at. And he gets brought into the king's house. 
And the king says, here's a table, here's a place, you get to sit here forever. This is what God has done for us. And so we come to the table today and we remember Jesus, the night he was betrayed, he he broke bread and he poured a cup and he said, I am giving my life up for you. I am setting, I am preparing a table for you in the presence of your enemies now and forever. You can trust that my plans are good and I'm working in your life. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to come to the table and we're going to remember and maybe you feel surrounded today. Maybe you feel surrounded by anxiety or depression or you feel surrounded by the heaviness of life and you're invited to come and receive the bread and receive the wine if you're a follower of Jesus. Remember what he's done for you. 